within the medical industrial complex. It is a large, giant business, and they have to be as efficient as possible. And that efficiency comes at the cost of really getting to know the people that we want to care for. But really, is it more efficient? Because look at our stats. They're terrible. Look at the people who leave the hospital with trauma. So many people. You might have a live baby, but a whole lot of trauma that's going to be generational. That's not efficient. I'm Luke Story. I'm Christine Loria. I'm Natasha Kingsbury. I'm Angie Check. I am Dr. Aaron Eugene McMorrow. I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Bliss Young. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm Kyle Kingsbury. I'm Lily Nichols. I'm Mark Groves. I'm Sarah Gustafson. I'm Jesse Golden. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein. I'm Marin Green. I'm Kelly Brogan, MD. Hi, this is Kimberly Ann Johnson. Je m'appelle Chris Afriz, et c'est le podcast du Chidicolo Holistique. Hello, I'm Paul Check, and this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Enjoy. Despite us in the United States, hailing from the largest GDP that probably will ever be known to anybody, us having so much money, us touting just our vast riches, there's a huge portion of the U.S. population that does not have access to affordable health care, let alone midwifery care. So when I met Brooke Schmo. And I saw what she had done in the Kissimmee-St. Cloud area, just outside of Orlando in Florida, with an old school bus, like a legit school bus. If you go to themidwifebus.org, you'll see this bus. Converted it into a very classy, dare I say luxurious-feeling midwifery clinic. I was stunned to say the least, and I was impressed to say the most. <laughs> It was incredible what she had done. She had taken nothing and created this incredible opportunity for the women and their partners of Kissimmee St. Cloud to not only have just prenatal and postpartum care, but also to get their gynecology needs met. And this ingenuity, this creativity that Brooke showed and demonstrated, I was like, I have got to meet this woman. And having met her, I was nonetheless blown away by what she was able to do. She's a one-man show She's a midwife, and she's doing it all. She's doing it all for a large swath of the population in her region that otherwise wouldn't have access to care at all, but they're getting great care with Brooke. So she and I had exchanged a couple emails, then a couple phone calls, and then I've done some consulting work for her as particular patient needs have come up, and she's the real deal. I wanted to have Brooke on the show today to talk to you a little bit about what she's been working up in the Florida area. I'm very, very excited to bring this episode to you. As with every episode, we have to have a couple sponsors. So let's spend just a moment talking about the incredible brands that have made this episode possible. The first brand is none other than Fullwell Fertility. I met Ayla Barmer, and you may have just heard her a week ago. She was on the show talking about her approach to fertility. Her specialty is fertility. She's a registered dietitian, has an incredible product lineup, but her focus is on fertility. And that's because the vast majority of supplements out there that claim to help you get pregnant are way behind in the clinical research. And we know that clinical research itself is kind of behind in our 
sort of experiential outcomes working with clients, especially fertility clients. So what she did is she created a product lineup to help people get pregnant, to help them have the healthiest pregnancy and fastest postpartum recovery. And what was born is full well fertility. And not only does Ayla, this registered dietitian, incredible super mom, not only does she oversee the creation of these compounds, but also oversees the entire manufacturing process so that unlike every other brand out there, including those overly expensive brands you see on the top shelf at your local fancy grocery store, you know that what's going in to these capsules and her supplements are exactly what you and your developing baby or hopefully in the future baby need. So they've got the best prenatal vitamin on the market. They've got the best men's virility vitamin, one of the only on the market. They've got a incredible fish oil, and they have a Nourish Nerves tonic. All four products, I have had such great experiences with them that I include them in my new PRP fertility program. People that buy into that 60-day program, they get a box of goodies, and four of the items in there are all four of the products in Ayla's Full Well Fertility product lineup. So if you want to try these out, I recommend it if you're considering starting a family or if you're about to have a baby and you need a refill on your prenatal vitamins, get the best. You deserve the best. Your breast milk going into your baby, they deserve the best. Your husband who's struggling with low sperm mortality, he deserves the best. Go to fullwellfertility.com, use code BELOVED10, and you'll save 10%. This episode is brought to you by BirthFit, which is a pregnancy and postpartum-specific lifestyle program. At BirthFit, they believe, like I do, that full autonomy starts with radical responsibility of your very own lifestyle practices to the best of your resources ability. So BirthFit's on a mission to get women moving and, and training in a certain way that supports whatever their season or cycle, whether you're in the preconception phase, you're pregnant, you're postpartum, or even if you're way past having babies, they've got something for you. They have a comprehensive prenatal training program that helps to support the nervous system through general strength and conditioning. They will help you with human foundational movements and core and pelvic floor basics because every woman out there is worried about leaking, about pelvic floor damage, etc. BirthFit's got you covered. And if you're not ready to hire a BirthFit trained professional who has specific training in pregnancy and postpartum, that's okay you can at least go to BirthFit and join their B community, which is a community created by women for women. And especially if you're looking to embrace cyclical strength and conditioning before, during, and after birth, the B community is for you. You're going to also hear from incredible experts in webinar format as a member of the B community. You're going to get all of your fitness and education and connection needs met. Again, this group is made by women for women just like you. If you want to try out their B community, go to birthfit.com, enter code BELOVED, and you'll get your first month free in the B community. And then it's only $24.99 per month afterwards. But once you get a taste of this, you're not going to want to go back. Go to birthfit.com, use code BELOVED, you'll get one month free access to the B community, and you're never going to look back. You're going to love this program. This episode is also made possible by my fam over at Organifi. There's a product I haven't talked about, and it's because I wasn't totally sure how to use it until I saw it in action in my own life with my wife. It's their Cacao Harmony blend. This blend will help you ease the symptoms of PMS. It supports healthy hormone balance. It's going to keep you energized. All of Organifi's products are USDA organic, which is why I have no qualms recommending them, not to mention glyphosate residue-free, which is pretty hard to find on the market nowadays. 
And in this product, you're going to find maca, which supports energy levels and alertness. It's a very potent antioxidant. It's been used for years, for decades, as an important ingredient for any protocol that purports to help to balance hormone levels and to improve reproductive health. Cacao. I'm not sure cacao needs too much of an introduction, packed with polyphenols. It's known as the bliss molecule anandamide. It helps support the overall sense of well-being and balance. Chastry berry. We know chastry because there's a brand name called Vitex, which is an extract of chastberry that helps to balance out this careful, delicate seesaw between estrogen and progesterone, especially in the second part of the cycle. Shadavari, an ancient root. It has adaptogenic properties. It helps with overall vitality. You've got stinging nettle, another plant that is just so critical in women's health. It's rich in vitamins A, C. It's rich in iron. It's packed filled with natural antioxidants and anti-inflammatory compounds. Turmeric, again, another ancient restorative root. It's loaded with curcumin, Curcumin also, by the way, is a possible target for anti-cancer therapies. If you're familiar with Dr. Cowan's work and, and a variety of the data out there looking at the benefits of turmeric as an anti-neoplastic agent. Ginger, not much you need to say about ginger. Aids in digestion, supports the immune system, helps you with just a sense of overall well-being. Ceylon cinnamon, coconut milk, acacia. The Harmony blend from Organifi is a must-have in your pantry. And if you want to try it out, go to Organifi.com slash beloved. You'll save 20% on their Harmony. And while you're there, pick up their red juice, their green juice, their gold latte, yada, yada. Their entire product lineup is amazing. So go to Organifi.com slash beloved. You can try their Harmony blend now. All right, that does it for my intro. I know it's long, guys, but we can't do this without our sponsors. It's an awesome way to support the show is to go and just make a purchase. If you have any doubts whatsoever, these companies also have incredible customer service. They will give you your money back. They will answer any questions you have. You don't have to worry. I'm, I'm putting you in good hands by sending you in the way of Full Well, BirthFit, and Organifi. We've got one more sponsor, but we'll save that for the mid-episode ad read. I uh, am super stoked for you to hear my conversation with Brooke Schmo of the Midwife Bus. I'm here with Brooke Schmo, who probably has the most unusual midwifery practice that anybody's ever heard of. Brooke, welcome to the show. Why don't we start there? What is so unusual <laughs> about you? You're a CPM in Florida, but... Yes, I'm a CPM and an LM in Florida. I have a very unusual practice. I hear that a lot. So we are a nonprofit organization. We do prenatal care and postpartum care and GYN care for ladies who have low access to care and it's all done on a bus. So it's a mobile clinic. We drive into neighborhoods where people have low access to care and we fill that need. So for everybody trying to understand this, most people, when they say, I'm going to be a midwife or a doctor, they assume that that means you're going to have a four-sided room with a roof, hopefully, and you're going to have these fancy stirrups and all these bright lights and the crinkly paper and the ultrasounds and everything else, and you have to go to this facility somewhere in your community. What you're actually doing is you actually are making yourself as mobile and available as possible, and you're still providing all of the stuff you would normally find in a comprehensive OBGYN practice. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. So the whole mission is just access to care. So that's physical access. You know, we're literally driving up into your neighborhood. But then also 
some of the more socio, you know, psychosocial aspects to making it very accessible, non-intimidating, you know, non-committal. You can come in and try it out. You can have a (laughs) drop-in fee. If you just want to check on your baby, come on in. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. We are doing video now on the podcast. So those of you who are listening, you're not going to be able to appreciate this. But can you walk us through the midwife bus and maybe just show us some highlights? First off, is it an RV that you've converted or is it an actual school bus? It's an actual bus that used to be a blood bank. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. It's huge. It's like 40 feet long. I'll show you. You want to start outside? That's why you don't drive it. At 40 feet is a large vehicle. Yeah, I do please. drive it, actually. Oh, I thought you said you don't drive it. I thought you said no. you... Oh, my gosh. I'm the driver. Holy smokes. <laughs> All right. So Brooke is now taking us through. Brooke, tell us about this whole thing for people who are just listening. Okay. So here's the midwife bus. Oh, my God. That Can is so it? dope. Yeah. It is rad. Even the paint job is rad. It's actually a wrap. Oh, it's a wrap, like a Klingon. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So I don't know how to do this. I'm doing it blind. Can you see? Yeah. Yeah. So we're walking in and the front here is just a little waiting area. So when you first come for your appointment, can you see? This is just, Uh it's supposed to look non-intimidating. Like somewhere you just want to plop down and chat for a while. It is. It looks very cozy. So this is where we do all of our intake. You've got patterns on the walls and on the floor. Like it is like, this is not an old broken down bus. This is a very nice looking waiting room. It's pretty swanky. And then we have a bathroom as every midwifery practice needs, but it's just this tiny little RV bathroom and toilet. Is the floor a decal or is it like, did you do something even more? They're peel and stick tiles from Amazon. God, that's so amazing. (laughs) Super cheap. Super cheap, but looks and probably feels amazing in there. Yeah, so this is our little exam room in the back. So we have the exam table, some seating for friends who want to come. Back here is our little newborn station. Oh, yeah, there's a little changing table and a scale. Yeah, yeah. Got our little centrifuge down there. So you do some basic blood work as well? We do do all all blood work. Yeah, everything right here. And we also do ultrasound. This is our little monitor that we can hook up to. We have a laptop ultrasound unit. So it's a one-stop shop. Yeah, you got it all. Do you have a microscope in there? Do some microscopy? and. No, that's coming next. I actually was a little discouraged by, I reached out to some of the midwives in Florida asking, you know, how do you chart? Because we learned how to do it in school, but I was just curious about charting. Yeah. And they kind of put the kibosh on it and said, you weren't allowed to do that. You're not a CLIA certified facility. So I might do that on the down low. What is CLIA? I think that that's like for the lab regulatory agency. Oh, gotcha. Well, let me know how me and my team here at the show can (laughs) raise money or support for you to get that, you know, to make that happen. So that would be so huge because so many of the things that we're, I mean, they're just simple problems that we're helping people with, but it prevents preterm labor. It prevents so many things, but like to test somebody for a yeast infection, if they don't have insurance, my quest price is over two hundred dollars oh for an aftermath swab. Yeah, that's so not a... it's just not totally not accessible mm. at all. But a microscope would be that's where I'm going next. Well, you can see anybody with two eyeballs can identify bacterial vaginosis. That is like the easiest thing to diagnose and you know, inferning and that type of thing. So we will talk offline. We'll see how we can get you a microscope set up so that we can at least avoid some of those unnecessary costs until you can become certified or whatever the <laughs> powers know. that be wish. Well, Brooke, thank you for the tour. If those of you are listening, you can go to the YouTube version of this and go and see what Brooke put together. 
I'm very impressed, Brooke. I honestly did not expect it to look like that. I don't know. I mean, we've had RVs in the past and it's impossible. It seems impossible to make it feel aesthetically as nice, as cozy as you would like a waiting room. So of course, we're doing very vulnerable things here when we care for women. We have stirrups and we have, you know, all of the stuff. And if you're not comfortable there, I do think that that impacts the experience that a person has with their midwife or doctor or nurse or whatever. So I do think it's important and it's amazing that you've been able to do what you do in providing access to virtually everybody who needs it. And it's actually not like this junky setup on the side of the road where you're just barely scraping by. It sounds like you've actually found a business model. So midwives out there, you can get creative. It sounds like Brooke has a pioneer here. Maybe talk a little bit about, you know, you are a midwife, you attend births. You told me you attend five births per month. And you've got your wheels right here. If you have to go to a birth, do you drive a car or do you just drive the bus over? I drive my car for a few reasons. One is discretion. Yeah, sure. <laughs> guess who's having a baby today? <laughs> 40 foot billboard shows. <laughs> and good. I wouldn't fit in half of the neighborhoods I go to. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Driving it has been, that's a whole nother podcast, but so many funny stories getting stuck you know, panicking. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You end up like Austin powering it and you're like stuck between two <laughs> I literally mailbox. have <laughs> in a car wash. That's a good story. Oh my Lord. Yeah. Tell us that story. Tell us about some of <laughs> the follies of driving a 40 foot mobile hospital around. <laughs> yeah. So my Austin powers moment happened. I have a clinic location that's about an hour and a half away and I have to do this really tricky turn to get home. And so I thought that I would get fancy and go and do a three point turn somewhere else so that, you know, I didn't have to do the tricky turn in front of everyone on the highway. And where I chose to do the three point turn was a car wash. And as I was like going forward, I realized, oh my gosh, there's not enough room for me to back up. And the only way through was forward. And so into the car wash, I went, thankfully not the bay where they're actually washing cars, but I curved around by the vacuums and I thought, okay, there's a way out. I'm going to be okay. And then there was no way out. And then I just got stuck completely with bushes underneath the bus. My front wheels were on the road. My back wheels were on the road. But I had, you know, basically straddled a median of sorts. And you were there. You were in stuck. park, opened my window. I was like, help. <laughs> Somebody help. And the most embarrassing thing was that I was on the news earlier that day some local news channel had come by to interview me about the midwife bus and what we do. And it had aired that day. And so the first person who came over was like, I just saw you on the news. (laughs) You might've been the only midwife to make the news twice in one day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, long story short, they had to shut down the whole car wash. It was so embarrassing because I had like 16 people surrounding the bus, like over here, this way, this way. And then I had to back up into the actual car wash bay in order to get out of there. And in the midst of all of that, do a hundred point turn, like er, 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 between a water main and the, oh my the gosh. car wash bay. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I remember the days of driving an RV. We used to own a 28 foot RV, which I thought was big. That's extra 12 feet. It sounds impossible. That just sounds impossible. So, you know, I just remember we also had a very old RV, like we had bought it used and it had a backup camera, but it almost looked like 
what you would expect to be on like a submarine in World War II. It was like <laughs> black and white with like shadowy things. It was like, what on earth? And that was supposed to be how you backed up. So we always had somebody had to jump out and run back in and then run back up to the front and say, you need to go to the left and then run back. And it. so doing it on your own, do you have somebody who comes with you, like any students or assistants or doulas or anything like that? I've had people periodically, but nobody who's in it for the long haul. I've had students come and go. I worked with another midwife for a little while, but for now I'm just lone ranger. Man. And I kind of love it. I have my route. I know exactly where I can go. Safe places are. I know where I can get gas. And recently ran into so like another panic attack because with the hurricane, there was no gas available. And so I had to go to a new gas station and I can't do that. Well, yeah. If I have to navigate a new place, I have to go in my personal (laughs) car first and make sure I can fit. So it's kind of exciting. Yeah. Wow. Always adrenaline. For sure. Brooke, given that this project, the Midwife Bus, is a nonprofit and you're serving such a diversity of people, can you talk a little bit about the social activist piece of this project? Obviously, you're not doing things the way most people are doing it, but obviously you've decided to challenge yourself in this way for the betterment of the people who need your care. So talk a little bit about what was it that kind of started this process of trying to find a more mobile way of caring for women in pregnancy or otherwise? Yeah. So the very first inspiration was a midwife over in Tampa. Her name's Charlie Ray Young. And she actually got the bus first. And I was still a midwifery student and she was doing something similar. She wanted to see, she had a concierge home birth practice, but she also wanted to care for Medicaid patients, Mm, but mm couldn't justify going to all their homes. The reimbursement was too low. So she had an idea of having them meet her at the bus. Oh, interesting. And doing all of their prenatal care on one day. So she kind of pioneered it. I think she lasted about six months before the Affordable Care Act passed and midwives stopped getting paid in Florida, at least for a period of time. I was still a student, so I don't know all the details. But anyway, she jumped ship and kind of went, took her philanthropic efforts on a different vein, and then ended up guest teaching one of my classes in midwifery school and mentioned the bus, that she had this bus. And if anyone wanted to start a nonprofit, she would gift it to them. And so that's where the inspiration came from, honestly. And then after graduating, I didn't get the bus right away. I went to work at a birth center and just realized, you know, when you're new, you just kind of find your groove, what lights your fire. and Seeing people who were the underdogs really lit my fire. I loved it. I wanted them on my schedule. I wanted to give them love. They were just people who, it wasn't that they were less educated because they ended up at a birth center. You know, they had some sort of wherewithal, but they just didn't have a lot of love. They didn't have a lot of people giving them love. And so I just felt like really drawn to them and like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. So I reached back out to her and got the bus. And it sat in my yard for a while until I figured out how to pay for it. (laughs) How did you pay for it? I mean, did you reach out and have some philanthropists that were really behind this charge or was this all completely out of pocket? So the first little bit was out of pocket. And then I've tapped into the grant program at one of our local hospitals And I've never written a grant before in my whole life, but I Googled it and put something together and they really liked it. And so I had my first grant interview with all four of my kids in the car 
and they called and I was like, okay, I guess we're doing this right now. So they were all like fighting in the back and the sweet lady who was in charge of the grant money was just asking me like, well, we're so intrigued by this. Tell us more about your vision. And do you have a client base? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and she said, do you have a working bus? I'm like, no, I have one that could work, but it's going <laughs> to need some work. And so they just totally took a gamble and they gave me my first $50,000 and that got me going. I was able to gut the bus, renovate it and get it roadworthy and then started getting reimbursements for Medicaid. And then since then I've gotten a lot more grant money. So, Holy smokes. That is not the journey that most people take to get into birth work. So what city are you in, by the way? It looks like you're sort of out of the main city. Where are you? Yeah, we're about 30 minutes southeast of Orlando. Okay. In a little town called St. Cloud. Most people have heard of it, like St. Cloud, Kissimmee. It's where yeah, yeah, Kissimmee, St. Cloud. Right, right, right. So that's where I live, and that's one of our clinic locations. But we go to Kissimmee and then another little town, Point Siena, also. And what is the breakdown of, you know, are people paying you out of pocket? Are you, you know, tell me about that breakdown. So, like I said, about 50% of my client base is home birth patients. And for that, I don't accept any insurance. Oh, it's just, It's only self-pay. Gotcha, gotcha. And then the other 50% are people who, it's a nonprofit side. So I'm trying to reach people who really don't have access to care. And so most of those have Medicaid They're planning a hospital birth. They're low SES. I've had quite a few refugees come through or displaced people who can't get Medicaid because they don't have a social security number, in which case we do a really awesome package that's self-pay that includes everything that they'll need to get them to delivery. Yeah, yeah. And are you doing, there's going to be some degree of like GYN work. I know you've mentioned that you've worked with, I guess it wouldn't technically be considered GYN, but you've got you know, teens with unintended pregnancies, you've got people seeking, you know, birth control, contraception. Do you also do that type of GYN work? Yes, I don't personally, because that's not in my scope of practice, but I have a CNM who comes one day a month and does a GYN clinic. Oh, wow. And she's doing all of that. Is she like back to back to back to back (laughs) during those days, 50 clients in one day? She's good because she's, I mean, it's a built-in client base with people who've had babies with the midwife bus who now don't want to have any more babies for a minute. Wow. So. Man. So what can a person expect when they walk into the clinic? You know, they have the waiting room there. It doesn't look like, you know, the typical practice. They're seeing somebody who's dressed just like you are today. You don't have all the hustle and bustle with people in scrubs and whatnot. What is that experience like for somebody who might actually be interested in doing something like this? Yeah. So for the first time people come, they're very skeptical usually. Like I send them the address and they're like, this is in the middle of a cow pasture or <laughs> that's our St. Cloud location or this is at a church. I'm like, yeah, you'll see me. I'm parked right next to the church. And the midwife bus, I always get like the midwife, what? B-U-S bus. It's a real bus. Yes, it's a real bus. It's a mobile clinic. I have to explain every single time I call the hospital. It's not just a hospital. cute name. It's actually a bus. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a bus. When I call to give report to the triage nurse, One of the hospitals in particular that has like 200 triage nurses, I think I've talked to all of them at this point, but every single time I have to give them my 30-second spiel. I'm broke from the midwife bus. It's an actual bus. We do prenatal care for people who don't have care, (laughs) like my little spiel. Yeah, so they come on, and it's usually just me. I'm dressed like a normal person. It's very friendly. It's very 
non-intimidating. That's the goal. I want to be just a friend who knows a lot about birth, who can give advice and support you and your wishes and give you a lot of love and hopefully connect you to some resources if you need that. So we sit and chat for a while. We sit in the front and for probably the first 15 minutes, we're just chatting, chatting about life, about how they're sleeping, about what's stressing you out, what's going well in your life, what's not going well, which opens the door to a lot of good info as a clinician. You know, if they're stressing out, if they're not sleeping, that's something that you want to know about. Yeah. And it's very natural. I've really become friends with almost all of these people. There's a couple like tough eggs I haven't cracked, but they become family by the end. And then we go to the back in the exam room and that part's usually short. We do blood pressure, weight, urine check, baby check, all of that stuff, blood work if we need it, but that's not the main focus. Yeah. And then a whole lot of education. So I encourage them to bring questions just like every midwife does. But I try, especially if they're a first-time mom or if they don't have a whole lot of resources, really trying to break it down from the beginning. Tell me what you know about what's coming. What do you know about birth? What do you know about the changes that are happening in your body? Okay, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what you're experiencing. Somebody did that for me when I was first pregnant, and it changed my whole trajectory. So it's so powerful. Yeah, right. And I think really what we're kind of tapping into is that this is not just a disease process like you're normally experienced in treating as a doctor or whatever else. This is an entire transformation that's happening, especially in pregnancy over this nine-month period. And there's far more to this than the urine dipsticks, the fundal heights, the dop tones, all of the things that people associate with prenatal care. That's really like 5% of the entire thing, or at least it should be. But that's overemphasized, I think, within the medical industrial complex, as I call it. And I don't use that word to differentiate us from them. I just mean it is. It is a large, giant business, and they have to be as efficient as possible. And that efficiency comes at the cost of really getting to know the people that we want to care for. And so when a woman goes to a midwife and wants to have a home birth, the power dynamic shifts because this midwife is now on their turf, not only at birth, but throughout the entire pregnancy. And that putting you you and your client on maybe more even footing allows for both people to actually become a little bit more vulnerable and to connect a little bit more deeply which fosters trust. And I think that that's especially relevant when you have a portion of your community, your immediate community, who maybe is very distrustful. You know, maybe they're, you know, women of color in particular have good reason to not be very trusting and their partners, their male partners, you know, perhaps. Because historically, we haven't done a good job of caring for people if they don't have the money to pay. And so, yes, it's important to pay. But as a result of this It's an illusion of safety. It's like, we'll keep you safe if you can pay us the money. That doesn't foster a very good working relationship around something that is, I don't see as a medical procedure birth. I see it as a reckoning with something very, very deeply, profoundly sacred. And if we can continue if we continue doing things the way that we have, which is this very sterile with these strict boundaries of you're the patient, I'm the doctor, and I'm going to tell you how we do it. We're not really ever going to get closer to maybe a more optimal style of maternity care. I want to ask you about, given that you're not really on their turf, but they're also not coming into the, one of those typical sterile clinical environments, apart from the skepticism, have you noticed that people actually do feel a little bit more at ease despite being on a school bus? 
do you feel like people do feel a little bit more at ease compared to maybe what they might be feeling in the clinical setting? And how have you fostered that? Yeah, 100%. And it's everything that we just talked about. From the second that they open the door, they're like, wow, this is so cool. This is not what I was expecting. You were not what I was expecting. You're so normal looking. and You're so <laughs> nice and friendly and you want to know what I ate for breakfast. Usually people don't care. So I think it's just, it's all of it. It's the setting. It's how I approach the patient provider relationship. They're much more at ease. It's very comfortable. I had an OBGYN resident come and shadow me for a day wow, recently. That's awesome. And she, for eight hours, was like, oh my gosh, I've never heard anyone ask that question before. But one of my ladies was having a relationship issue. And I'm like, tell me about it. What's he doing? You know, why isn't he here today? And so we dove for 20 minutes until yeah. what's going on with that. And, you know, it's just so unusual, but why? Why is it so unusual? Yeah. Right. They're so in the name of efficiency, but really, is it more efficient? Because look at our stats. They're terrible. Look at the people who leave the hospital with trauma. Right. So many people. Right. That's not efficient. You might have a live baby, but a whole lot of trauma that's going to be generational. So that's not efficient. I couldn't agree more. I mean, this trauma, the conversation around trauma, and unfortunately, this word trauma is kind of thrown around as anything the bad that happens. And yes, that is actually a part of it. But people sort of have this presumption that if you have a healthy mom, healthy baby, even an unmedicated, undisturbed birth in the hospital, that somehow you should be grateful for that outcome. And that anything you're feeling about it, you know, like get over it because you have a healthy baby. You should feel so much more gratitude than you seem to be feeling. Like, why aren't you so happy? And the reality is, and I, I have a good anesthesiologist friend who works up in Pittsburgh. She was actually my attending when I was in medical school. And I don't think she's aged today. I don't know what her secret is, but she was a specialist as an OB anesthesiologist, meaning she was placing the epidurals with, you know, in the labor suites. She was placing the spinals. She was helping to assist with general anesthesia for emergency C-sections. She was doing all of that. And she always told me when I was rounding with her as a med student, because she and I like clicked right away. She was like, I am the ultimate customer service representative. I have to go in there and really understand who this person is. What is it that I'm contributing to their care? And if I don't speak that to them and, and hear them and really sit with them and bear witness to the struggle that is childbirth, like it's not an easy process. Instead of just walking in and saying, hey, I heard you want an epidural, slapping a needle in their back and then walking away. She's like, I have the opportunity to really make them feel safe and seen. And, you know, the word safe is a real nebulous term nowadays. I mean, I don't really resonate much with that term. But whenever so many women are saying that I didn't feel safe during my C-section, she started listening. And then what she started to determine was, oh my gosh, I'm seeing people in their second and third pregnancies over a span of 10 years. And they're telling me that the way that it was done in their C-section, when I wasn't involved, you know, I'm speaking from her, it was actually traumatizing. It doesn't matter how little pain there was or how little recovery there was. There was something that didn't feel right. And it starts with that first non-consensual vaginal exam or something that words that were used that kind of coerced a person to do what you know, the doctor wanted them to do or the midwife was hoping that they would choose. And so Tracy Vogel, the physician I'm talking about, she actually has an entirely separate practice it's a trauma-informed prenatal practice in which she actually helps work through these past traumas. 
And that is something that is very much in our power. It starts with the relationship you develop with somebody, starting with the conception. And you develop this relationship. And then when it gets to the point where, hey, you know, Brooke, you're talking to a client saying, hey, I'm really worried about these things. Now they're actually able to listen because they know that you have their best interests in mind. So I do think, I mean, you even said 20 minutes talking about something that seems unrelated to prenatal care is a luxury that a lot of physicians and midwives in these bigger systems, I trained at Kaiser, so you can imagine, we just didn't have time to do that. So you're really bridging a lot of these gaps that I think we're seeing in maternity care. What challenges have you run into doing, you know, operating this type of bus, apart from getting stuck in a gas station? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So quite a few. It's been totally trial and error. There was no precedent. And so from every single thing, from forming the nonprofit to getting funding to driving the bus, it's been the school of hard knocks. I'm two and a half years into practice and I feel like I have my footing in some ways and I'm still learning a lot in other ways. One thing that has been challenging that I feel like I finally am figuring out is keep is a sustainable business model. When yeah. I first started, I was very gung-ho about providing care to only people who wouldn't get good care otherwise. If they could walk into somewhere else and get decent care, I wasn't interested. And that only lasted for a little while because I realized that's not a sustainable business model financially or emotionally. We need the feel-good home births to keep going, or at least I do. I'll speak for myself. And then we also need money to keep our doors open. If I want to do the greatest good, I have to keep my doors open. And so mm. that's when I started accepting home birth, which were honestly, when I started, that was most of the calls I would get. When you start driving around a 40 foot billboard that says midwife on it, the people <laughs> who call you are the people who want a home birth. And not the people who are like, I'm not getting any prenatal care, screw the hospital. Yeah, yeah. So I was turning away a lot of those people. And then I started to rethink and decided, let me take a few a month that will help me be sustainable financially. And then I realized I really love it. And I don't ever want to give it up. I love home birth so much. It's I'm so passionate about it. And it's keeping me balanced financially. And it's keeping me balanced emotionally, your sweet anesthesiologist friend who advertises as a trauma-informed prenatal care provider. I can only imagine the people who come knocking on her door and what she has so to decompress much. Yeah, there is at so the end of the day. Much. Yeah, yeah. I'm not advertised as that and I see so much of it and I still have to decompress, you know, untangle just, you know, I'm an empath anyway, but just shocking, shocking stories and, you know, so much sadness and sad life situations and things that I'm learning how to establish good boundaries and, you know, have good, healthy ways to decompress. And, and I need those. I'm not going to say normal. You're going to have to leave that out because <laughs> people who are, what's a good way to say that people who leave and you don't feel like, wow. That's so much. Hmm. People who leave and you feel really good about and you feel like life is good and there are good people. There are good families. There are partners who are supportive that, you know, didn't just peace out when they found out she was pregnant. Yeah. Brooke, let's take a quick pause. I want to get into this a little bit more.
All right, I was saving bioptimizers for the middle of the episode. I use bioptimizers in my life daily. I found myself in adrenal fatigue. Again, I can't believe I let it happen. But their products have been so helpful in getting me back on my feet. And one product in particular that I'm excited about is their new Collagenius. It's under their sub-label, Newtopia. And this has four different types of mushrooms blended up with collagen in a powder. And one scoop contains the equivalent of 1.2 pounds of concentrated raw mushrooms. That's 50 to 1 lion's mane, 100 to 1 shaga, 100 to 1 cordyceps, 100 to 1 reishi. Reishi has an incredible antiparasitic quality to it. Shaga actually has a lot of anti-neoplastic qualities about it. And lion's mane, of course, has a neutrogenic property itself. When I make microdoses for people, I blend up special mushrooms with lion's mane and a little bit of niacin. And the two, lion's mane with the special mushrooms, can get to those very, very distant little capillaries. And there's a synergistic effect. If you've never used lion's mane in higher dose, it almost has a bit of a, man, an almost an ethereal kind of experience that comes with it when you take it right before bed. A lot of these mushrooms also help with Inhibiting cell growth. I mentioned some of the antineoplastic components. It helps with balancing out your blood sugar and your cholesterol levels. Cordyceps in particular helps improve exercise performance. There's a lot of anti-aging qualities, improve cardiovascular health, promotes a, a balanced inflammatory response. And then, of course, collagen. You got better skin health, better joint health, better bone health. It boosts your muscle mass, promotes cardiovascular health, stronger hair and nails. This is a key building block for all of those things that we think about when we think of health. We think of bones, we think of skin, we think of hair, we think of teeth, all important here. And the best part about this Collagenius product is I put a scoop in my coffee in the morning. It actually tastes really, really good. You know, normally mushrooms kind of taste like dirt, but they've added a little bit of cacao and there's some really nice flavor, prof- bleh, flavor profiles going on in here. So go to bioptimizers.com slash holistic OBGYN and you'll save 10% on your purchase. Try out their Collagenius. This is a perfect accoutrement to your bulletproof coffee in the morning. I put a pat of butter. I put some cinnamon. I put some sea salt. I'll add some Laird Superfood Creamer, which has some additional mushrooms in it. I'll add some MCT oil. And then I'll add a scoop of the Collagenius. Blend it up and pow, you've got yourself a tall healthy, delicious latte, and you're not even going to spike your blood sugars. In fact, this is actually going to help regulate your blood sugars first in the morning when you're still intermittently fasting. So again, that's bioptimizers.com slash holistic OBGYN. If you struggle with remembering any of the discounts codes or whatever, all the show notes are at belovedholistics.com and you'll see the podcast link there. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Brooke of the Midwife Bus. All right. Welcome back. We're talking to Brooke Schmo. Brooke, you were going into some really, I think, really important territory there because we as birth workers, we carry so much of the stories that our clients bring into this conversation in each of our interactions. And, you know, I'm studying for my hospice boards right now. So as you probably know, I do end of life care. And in addition to birth work and really quite a bit of things in between, but when we're talking about, let's say, a really, really hard diagnosis, let's say you're an oncologist, a cancer doctor, you're talking to people about these really hard things all the time. And because of the system demands that you're doing this, maybe 10 people per day in your clinic or whatever, and as an oncologist, you're losing people constantly. People are coming to your help and they, they die. They come to you, they die. It happens more often than not if you're in that type of work. 
what happens with these physicians, and I've seen this in GYN oncology when I was a resident, that they become kind of calloused over. They don't want to get too close because that requires you to get to know this person and you have an inkling, a gestalt that they're not going to make it through. Now, of course, we're not talking about the same gravity. or Well, we are, but it's in a different life. We're not talking about death when we do birth work. But if we don't have those boundaries, then we may just cave into the burden, the emotional burden of really getting close to every single person and hearing some horrific stories. If you really get to know some people about sexual trauma, physical and domestic abuse, how can we balance that? You know, I mean, you're in this very intimate setting with them. You're spending obviously a lot more time than most birth workers. How do you set those boundaries? I mean, what advice do you have for midwives? Because I think midwives as a whole have a very, very hard time with boundary setting. Oh, man. Are you ready? Mark the time. I'm about to crack this nut. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> this is such a tricky question. Every birth worker I know is grappling with it, and I don't have it figured out. However, one question that's been helpful that I ask myself or I ask, you know, just rhetorically is what is needed? What is needed in this moment? Mm. And that life is really just balancing needs constantly. It's balancing my own needs. It's balancing the needs from the people around me, my kids, my husband. And so it's a juggling act and you can't juggle all the balls at once. You can only touch one at a time or two at a time. And just bouncing back and forth between what's needed today, you know, I really need, I need to not answer my phone or whatever the case may be. And looking at it like that, I think that has been helpful for me and self-care has been helpful for me, but that's, you know, obvious. But the boundary question is, I am living it. I'm living it right now. And it's tricky Yeah, because I know that I have the potential to really change a lot of people's reality. And so trying to not just completely be enveloped and eaten alive by that very glaring, obvious need is hard. It's hard to have the personal boundaries. Yeah. I still see palliative care patients three days per week through a remote home-based palliative care group that works in Northern California, which, you know, above like Sonoma, Santa Rosa area, you have some very, very, very low income people, many of whom have struggled with polysubstance abuse, et cetera. And you might be 44 with a couple young kids and you're in full-blown heart failure. So you can't even walk across the house without getting short of breath. And you want to know the story. And when you start to understand the story, it takes every bit of you to be present with that story. You can put the boundaries up at any point, but then you're really not able to connect. And they know that. People can feel that, even through the phone or Zoom or whatever. So I find myself at the end of those days completely depleted, so much so that I've told my wife, I think I need to cut back on palliative care. It's just taking so much out of me, so much so that I start to resent my clients for making me feel that way, which sounds so twisted, but it's Mm -hmm. a reality of providing care. If we don't have the resources to care for ourselves, how on earth are we going to show up for somebody in such a vulnerable state, whether it's end of life or in the birth process, I don't think it's possible. And I think that's why so much of our maternity care system, which is generally operated by, I think, broken down people who've been working long night shifts for 25 years, they've become cynical, they've become apprehensive, you know, they just become kind of stuck. And I think the same goes for doctors. And I think when we think about the collective trauma that you were describing that all of us are experiencing in birth work, especially in the hospital system, It's no surprise 
that they kind of just want to brush away patients who are difficult or challenging or, oh, I don't even know how she had a baby because she won't even let me put my hand near her vagina, let alone have sex, you know? And it's like, oof, I hear the pain in this person complaining about a person who has quite a bit of story behind this experience. And I think getting closer to that while still maintaining boundaries, I think that's an area that we really, really need to be diving into. So it's really interesting to hear you share that. You're only two years into practice and you fortunately have already realized, I need to really have clear boundaries. I can't bring this into my personal life as much as I may want to. Um, can you share maybe an instance in which you had, you realized I really have to start setting boundaries and maybe somebody can reflect on that? Oh my gosh. I could share an instance from every single day of my life. Probably I was laughing when you were saying the providers have become cynical because I saw a lady yesterday in clinic who went to the hospital thinking that she was in preterm labor. She's one of my hospital moms. And she said that the lady at the desk said, do you have a prenatal care provider? And she said, yeah, I have a midwife with the midwife buzz. And the lady like put her glasses down on her nose and was like, excuse me. (laughs) But they're just so like get them in, get them out. And then prenatal care turns into dipsticks and fundal heights and dop tones. And that's it. That's it. Yeah. I agree with you completely. A story, <laughs> man, I can tell you a lot of failure stories. I'm trying to think of a good success story. Yeah. Tell us that. A success story. So a good success story is you setting hours. <laughs> setting hours. Like I'm not coming into work before this time and I'm leaving at this time. And so if I can't see everyone who needs to be seen, then I'm so sorry. You're going to have to wait a little while. Yeah, That's been a success. A failure is everything in between. I had a girl come over. I've had people come to my house needing like IV antibiotics because they don't have insurance and they can't go to the hospital without getting a several thousand dollar bill. And as a provider, when you know that, I mean, you're so close to them, you know, their financial situation, you know, they don't have insurance, you know, if they walk into the ER, they're going to activate their emergency Medicaid too early, and then it's not going to cover their birth. And so just trying to do everything I possibly can to keep them from that financial burden. And I've definitely had people show up at my house randomly on a Saturday. Looking for help. For help. And my sweet husband is very patient, but that's happening less and less. So yeah, (laughs) there's a knock on the door and it's not the delivery guy. It's not somebody trying to sell you on some long care product. It's It's somebody over pregnant lady (laughs) who's probably in preterm labor and they, uh, you know, have their GBS positive and they're just swirling with worry. Yeah. How can you say no? It's like, sorry, I have boundaries. Like that's really what you're up against. I mean, that's what most home birth midwives are up against. I think it's a real testament that in the United States, you know, it's something like 1% or less, I think. In some counties, it's way less than even that of women who are giving birth outside of the hospital. So when you look at the data, most people who are having home births are doing it out of pocket. They're paying, I just asked my midwife community on my private Discord server, I asked, what are you charging for midwife care? Because I wanted to bring the statistic. And it ranges from something like comprehensive care for like 2800 bucks all the way up to 6500 So there's this wide range and these are all busy midwives who are at least attending two to three births a month. You know, you said five. That's actually probably somewhere in the middle. I have somebody who attends like 20 per month. And I mean, she works with the Amish community and whatnot. So it's a testament that people are willing 
to pay out of pocket. And these are not all rich people. These are people that have saved up and they have this little stash of money hidden away for the home birth experience, which in many regards is better than what you receive in the hospital for all of the reasons we've described. So I think it's a testament to the midwifery model that women are still despite being strapped for cash, they are saving their resources and allocating resources for the purpose of having a home birth. The doctors out there who are listening, who think that this is preposterous, that people would have a birth outside of the home, it's not because they're dumb. It's not because they can't afford a hospital birth. It's quite the opposite. And I think it's an opportunity to ask, why are women seeking out of hospital birth? With all of the advertisement of safety and and technology and everything else, why are people still doing this, even when they aren't necessarily financially you know, sound in their everyday life. There's something there. There's something that you're providing to people that they're not getting in the hospital. And that's really where our creative juices within the medical industrial complex, how to fix maternity care. That's really, I think, where the money is. I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest thing is accessibility. If you can call a phone number and get somebody that you know, right. and somebody who knows you and who knows your case and who remembers your kids' names and you know, that's worth the money right there. Somebody who's providing you care who actually cares. Yeah. <laughs> Why is that such an anomaly? Because of the guise of efficiency, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think that's one thing. I actually have quite a few patients coming to me right now who are affluent, who want prenatal care with the midwife bus, who are planning a hospital birth for one reason or another, which is just so funny because I'm not going to be delivering their baby. They have no idea who's going to be delivering their baby. Right. Whatever hospitalist is on call, but they don't care because they realize that the bulk of what happens in your pregnancy is the nine months leading up to your birth and the care, the answering of questions, the education, the accessibility. Mm. If you need an antibiotic or if you need a prescription, you can call somebody and get it by 5 p.m., you know? Right. That just doesn't right. happen. Right. Yeah, there's so many things that need to change. But for now, I'm thankful to be able to provide these services to a very small group of people. When I first started, I thought I was thinking volume. I was thinking of, you know, my mission was to accept absolutely everybody who needs my services. And that has shifted too. And I'm like, no, I'm not here for volume. Definitely not here to accept absolutely everybody. You have to be invested. You have to pay something. There has to be some skin in the game. That's right. Because you have to value my care because I'm going to value you and your life and your baby's life. That's right. Yeah, you just signed up for my private association, which is really my practice. It's working in the private. We have a contract that if you need something and I have expertise in that area, I'm happy to share with you. The reason I did that and people are like, you shouldn't be charging. It's like, I should be charging. I have to charge. Because otherwise, people actually send me pictures of their vulva on Instagram. And they're like, hey, doc, I really like your practice. Great content. Can you tell me if this is warts? And I'm like, (laughs) no, I can't. First off, don't send your vulva photos to anybody you don't know on the internet, everybody. (laughs) Secondly, within our economic model, we see having a lot of money as having more value in our society. And of course, that is not true. We know that. In fact, there's a lot of buttholes who have a billion dollars who don't give a shit about anybody. And then there are a lot of people who don't have any money, and they're martyrs for this task of trying to provide care to the destitutely poor. And that's also not a model that works. So within the nonprofit lens, I remember hearing a TED Talk not long ago. It was actually when I was working within like an NGO system. 
in Eastern Africa. I heard this video and was like, oh my gosh, this is it. So it was a talk by an economist, or he was actually a guy in like finance. And he was like, the nonprofit sector needs to start thinking like a business. You have to have people investing into you if you're going to be investing into them. And you can think of that as an exchange of love and energy or whatever. But we have this fiat piece of printed you know, fabric that we call value. And we need that. And we also need to figure out how are we going to provide these much needed resources to people without becoming martyrs ourselves in the process. Because you broke, if you're broke, like you said, your bus can't operate. So there has to be some acknowledgement that this is a good use of my resources. And if I invest it in Nathan or Brooke or whoever, I'm going to get that love in return. It would be really, really cool since you're out in like the farm, it'd be interesting if you could work on a barter system, right? Where somebody's like, here's two dozen eggs for this <laughs> appointment, but it doesn't really go work like that. Has anybody offered you that? Like, I've got these things I can give you. <laughs> like tree cleaning service, things like that. And I will barter a little bit here and there, but my accountant doesn't love that. But yeah, I think it's more, it's keeping the doors open for sure. It's making sure that I'm compensated because I'm a human with needs and a family. Yeah. But it's also dignity too. When you receive something for free, there's no dignity in that. And people right. know that. Even right. if they are really strapped for cash and they really want it for free, subconsciously, that's not helpful. It doesn't feel good. Hmm. It doesn't feel good. And you're not invested. There's no ownership. Where there's ownership, you have somebody who's committed, somebody who will take you seriously. For the first little bit, I had no registration fee from some of my low SES people. And those people were the highest no-show rate which is so unfair because, yeah. you know, I'm away from my children to yeah. sit here and wait for you. And that's not fair. So I quit that real fast and still working out the kinks, but I'm getting there. And I'm realizing that this is a self-sustaining model. It's such a good business model. It's serving needs. There's opportunities to think like a business and to franchise. I'm talking to a lawyer right now. And I think it's great. I think every city needs a few of them. Yeah, really? let's talk about that. What would that look like if somebody listening wants to, you know, I'm even thinking maybe I'll franchise. I'll have a <laughs> midwife bus too or something. It would be really helpful in, in this part of the world, in Kentucky, where frankly, there's just a huge disparity in wealth. You know, there's a lot of racist tendencies still. I mean, we're in the freaking, they call it the South. I mean, it's not really the South in my opinion, but on the West side of, of Louisville. It's yes. a mindset. Yeah. Louisville is the black people. East side is the white people. Oh, I have one black neighbor. And the fact that I know where that one black neighbor lives tells you all that you need to know. So, you know, if I could roll a bus down to the West side, I could have a whole day of clinic out there just doing routine GYN or well woman care. So if somebody's listening, you know, is this an opportunity that you might want to talk to somebody about in the franchising space? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually writing two more grants right now. They're doing a few days for two more buses and we're expanding in Orlando. I'm sure Kentucky or Louisville has something similar, but we have a community needs assessment report that comes out every two years and it's a collaboration with all the local hospitals and it's all their stats and they hotspot on an actual map where some of these disparities are happening in high volumes. Wow. And one of the disparities that they hotspot map is people who are overutilizing the emergency room for prenatal reasons. And so it's very obvious on a map where we need to go. And when you have that kind of data and people have done the work for you, it's so easy to get funding. There's so much funding available. So we're trying it out. I have a midwife who's interested in 
being my guinea pig and we're going to go for it. <laughs> That's amazing. I have a lot of young midwives, some of whom maybe were RNs and they were going to do the CNM route. And now they're wondering, maybe I should be a CPM and do home birth. And, you know, they're in this kind of conflicted space because, you know, what we're advertised is you go to college, you go to graduate school or whatever, and then you work in the hospital system. That's what they're kind of grooming you for when you go through 14 years of education and training like I do. So it's very confronting to think, I'm not going to do that thing I trained to do. What are the other possibilities? I think that what you've put together here is a really great exercise in the creative, the sort of creative process that is actually required to change the system and to meet these needs. Because it's not going to happen where those hospitals that aren't providing the care are suddenly going to like, a light bulb goes off and they start doing it. We would have to have that happen in about a thousand hospitals across the country if we were going to really balance the playing field. So if somebody out there is listening, you're a young midwife, you've been really thoughtful about what your career looks like, take a little page here from Brooke and maybe even reach out to Brooke and perhaps she can help guide you or perhaps you could be one of her out-of-state franchisees in the near <laughs> future. Is there anything else you want to impart on the audience here? This has been a really lovely conversation. Thank you. Um, this work can be sustainable. We hear so many instances of where it's not, of people who have burnout of people who struggle financially, who, you know, their kids are in therapy late 20 years down the road. Right. It doesn't have to be that way. You can approach these problems creatively and we're the only ones who are going to do it. Yeah. Anybody who's interested in the work you're doing, these are the forward thinkers and it's not going to be solved by the hospital complex. I've seen it so many times. I've seen how much money is given to the hospital complex to solve some of these issues and do you know what they do with it? They buy blood pressure cuffs for people to send home. Right. That's what they do with it. You're not really going to elicit change without care. Yeah. And care is not a blood pressure cuff. Right. So sorry. Right. Right. Yeah. We're forgoing the entire relationship. The relationship has dissolved. Now you're just a person with blood pressure checking your blood pressure at home, which it is a nice thing. It is nice that you have mm -hmm. somebody checking in and you have the ability to have some control over that. But that's not really healthcare. That is... Sick care. <laughs> Let's yeah, call it what it is. Care. Yeah. Exactly. Sick care. Yeah. So the funding is there. The hospital support has been enormous with the administrative side have been so like just championing my cause. I'm sure it's innovative and they like to be attached to that, but I don't care because they have a lot of money and they've really helped me out. They bought me a brand new ultrasound machine. They're, you know, they're interested in funding more buses. So I would definitely reach out to, you know, the hospital system in whatever area you find yourself, I'm sure that their stats are just as bad as ours and pitch to them that you can help those stats. You can help save them money by keeping people out of your triage or out of the NICU by, you know, helping them diagnose a BV infection or yeah, it's so simple. The preventative model is very simple, but so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I know that I've said this time and time again on this show, but we don't have to tear down the medical industrial complex. Like It's just going to do what it does. It is built as a reflection of what consumer-driven market does. And that's that they want everything in the same place. They want efficiency, productivity, etc. So that's what the MIC is going to do. We can build a life raft. And I think you've built a really lovely life raft around the Kissimmee-St. Cloud area. When I say that I don't think that the medical industrial complex can or even has to change, I'm also reflecting on the fact that these hospitals 
that are unwilling to provide you with additional time in your clinic visits or maybe a social worker consult for heaven's sake, you know, instead of having one for an entire OBGYN practice of 50 physicians, maybe, you know, we could see how allocation of these funds would be different. But one of the big issues is that within the nonprofit hospital community, some of the CEOs are paid $10 million plus. Kaiser is a great example. UPMC in my hometown of Pittsburgh. I just did an episode with Sandra Alvarez, episode 90, where she actually did a film called Inhospitable about the role of hospitals in driving up healthcare costs. And meanwhile, these are nonprofit hospital systems paying their CEOs $8 million, $12 million a year. Not even a doctor, not even the top neurosurgeon in the world or whatever we could use to justify that. And then there's a public school across the street that is rat infested and has a gas leak and asbestos still in the ceilings. So these nonprofits are supposed to be supporting the community, but really they're doing a piss poor job of it. So let's not demand something of a system that wasn't built to actually do the best maternity care possible. Let's build life rafts. And I think you deserve quite a bit of praise, Brooke, for thinking outside the box and actually, you know, going at this from a business standpoint and really making it work. And you, the people that are able to find you, you should be very, I don't want to say very grateful. That's not what I want to say, but <laughs> I hope that they understand just how special it is what you're offering to their communities. Thank you. Thank you. They do. Honestly, the payoff has been at the end of the day to see really, really good care yeah. and to be very happy with how everything went. Yeah. So, and just the moral feeling good about what I'm doing with my life, with the time that I've been given here. What do I have to offer? How am I helping the people around me? Right. Right. It's really made, it's made life rich. Yeah, absolutely. Brooke, thank you so much for spending some time with me. I know you're busy. I hope you can go and enjoy the rest of your day. How can people find you if they want more information or to just check out what you're doing? Yeah, they can find me. We're on Facebook and Instagram and our website is themidwifebus.org. And please reach out. I would love to hear from other people who are like-minded. And thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. I'm a huge fan. I'm just so happy. It's so refreshing to see somebody shaking things up. (laughs) Definitely shaking things up. And I have all the same challenges that you do. I promise it has not been easy, but it's worth it. It really is. And I'll echo what you said. The people who come to me for support are like, I never thought that this would be possible to have this type of care in my pregnancy. And I'm not doing anything special. I'm literally just giving them time to tell their story and to really see them and be present with them. It's not time that they need. They need presence. That's really what matters. And so I'm grateful to be on this journey with you, Brooke, and look forward to working with you more in the future. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Brooke, for being so gracious with your time. If you want to check out Brooke's work, go to themidwifebus.org. You can look at the bus in its glory. It's incredible what she's doing. If you want to donate, she's accepting donations right through her website. They are a nonprofit because they're doing incredible work and, and really providing some incredible philanthropic outreach in an area that is surprisingly underserved. So, Brooke, thank you for doing your work. We'll send people your way. Guys, if anything from this episode touched you, support us in any way that you can. You can support one of our sponsors. All of the information is available at Beloved Holistics at the show notes. You can share these episodes with your friends. If anything remotely resonated with you, just share it to the people you love. 
it really, really does help us out. And then lastly, if you haven't left a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever, go and spend the 15 seconds it takes to leave a five-star review. Believe it or not, the algorithm only really, really cares about that stuff. So my name is Nathan Riley. This is a 501c3. We're providing education and entertainment. We're not providing medical advice here. If you do want medical advice, you can find me. I'm the host. Find me at belovedholistics.com. I just launched my PRP fertility program and I'm still doing private consultation. I'm accepting collaborators into my collaborator program. The PRP program is unique in that you meet with me and six other renowned practitioners from a psychic medium to a breath worker to an embodiment coach to a metaphysical counselor, high-level Czech practitioner. We've got all of the angles covered. Oh, Chinese and German new medicine practitioner, a functional nutritionist, you get it all. Plus, you get a box of books, some detox programs, some functional testing, some vitamins, some supplements. I mentioned Full Well's vitamin lineup is in there. Some bioptimizers is included in there. You get biogeometry pendants. You're going to get a vaginal steaming consultation with me along with steaming herbs if it's appropriate for you at this time. This is really the full deal in order to help you get pregnant naturally or to lay down the healthiest soil so that if you do go the IVF or IUI route, it's going to be a one and done, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, as they say, and you won't have to go 15, 30, 45 grand in the hole. We're going to get everything upstream working on all cylinders so that when you move forward, you're going to get that baby of your dreams. That's the newest offering on the website, but of course the collaborator program is there. My private consultation menu of services is there. You can find all of that at belovedholistics.com. We're going to be back here in a week with Greg Schmaus. Greg is one of my friends that I met through Paul Check. He is quite an impressive young man. The title of the episode is on archetypes, the psyche, and mapping your power. Greg does quite a bit of work with archetypes and balancing yin and yang, and I wanted to bring him on to talk about some of these incredible transformations that take place archetypically through the childbirth process. So you don't want to miss that. That will be right back here in one week on the 25th of January with me at the Holistic OBGYN podcast. In the meantime, guys, take care of yourselves and be loved. I'll see you next time. 